Chapter 47, Syria Why don't you have a visa? The guard at the Syrian border barked, pointing at Alberto. I was trying to understand his rapid-fire Arabic and asked him to speak slowly, but it only seemed to agitate him more. I was flustered and tried to explain that we didn't know we needed a prior visa, believing we could buy it as we had at the border of every other country. You can enter, he pronounced, pointing at me. You have Lebanese documents, but for him it will be difficult. We must call Damascus. They can respond in two or twenty-four hours. You must wait. And so we waited. We sat. We stood. We paced the small border area like caged animals, unable to move forwards or go backwards. The officers occasionally called out to tell us that they had not heard from Damascus. And each time, we thanked them for trying. Each time, they smiled a little more and spoke a little less curtly. Four hours later, one of the guards came to our seats and asked if we were hungry. We had not eaten since breakfast at the construction site, and there were no vending machines or food kiosks at the border. We answered, yes. The man disappeared and returned shortly afterwards, asking us to follow him. In a side room was a low table surrounded by cushions and a large tray filled with foods that I recognized from my own home, a yogurt spread called lebne, a mix of herbs and olive oil called zatar, in which pita bread is dipped, boiled eggs and olives. The man smiled slightly at my profuse thanks and extended his arms out in invitation before leaving. The sun set and the stars came out, and we were still at the border. One by one, the various officers invited us to join them for tea, wanting to know more about us. I spoke in broken Arabic, explaining our walk as best as I could, but not specifying that we were ending in Jerusalem. We had been warned that other pilgrims had been turned away at this border because Syria does not recognize Israel as a legal state. Not wanting to jeopardize our crossing, I said that we were staying with relatives in Lebanon before deciding our next steps, but I had the feeling they knew exactly where we were going. Later that evening, the more senior officials invited us to coffee, which in the Arab world is a gesture reserved for guests. In the beginning, I had the impression that they thought us naive idealists, but the more we spoke, the more I saw interest and respect emerge in their eyes, and their demeanor become ever more gentle, even kind. Can you call Damascus again and tell them to rush the papers for these people? One of them yelled out. They've been here for hours. The night turned cold, and I began to shiver. One of the guards brought us green military jackets and blankets, which we deeply appreciated and which they seemed pleased to provide. By 10 p.m., it was clear that we would not be receiving Alberto's visa, and even if we did, we could not go anywhere without a map, a tent, or sleeping bags. As we tried to sleep on the bolted plastic chairs in the lobby, one of the senior officers called out for us to follow him. On the floor of the room where we had eaten were two foam mattresses laid side by side.
Thank you. Shukran, I said with sincerity. I want you to know that this is Alberto's first time in the Arab world, and I'm happy to have him see this face of the Arab people. He beamed, assuring me that the visa would arrive in the morning. As I began to fall asleep, I heard the sound of the fax machine and the men saying that Alberto's visa had been approved. Alberto was granted a visa for only three days. One of the senior officers apologized the following morning. You can renew it, but only for three days at a time, and only in major cities like Latakia and Tartus, farther south. It was Wednesday, October the 30th, and the visa expired Friday, November the 1st. Government offices were closed on Fridays, the Muslim Holy Day. Even if we arrived in Latakia the next day, the visa would expire before we could start walking again. As Alberto and I contemplated what to do, a man entered the building and began speaking with the senior staff. They spoke in hushed tones, glancing at us, and eventually parted ways. The senior officer approached us. This man is a bus driver and will take you to Latakia, he said. When you get there, you go to the passport office and ask for Ahmed, telling him that I sent you. He'll help you. The clearly contented officer shook our hands and hurried us to the waiting bus while the remaining officers yelled out their well wishes. The bus carried us through narrow winding mountain paths that would have been challenging to walk and an hour later deposited us in the city center. Although I should have been thrilled to be in a country where I spoke the language and understood the culture, I felt surprisingly uneasy. Warnings about the Syrian secret police, mixed with stories of torture that I had heard growing up, replayed themselves in my mind, fueled by photos and banners everywhere of the current president, Bashir Assad, and his hardline father, Hafiz Assad. I also didn't want to renew Alberto's visa every three days and argued with him about taking a bus to the Lebanese border. In the end, we agreed that if his visa was renewed for only three days, we would take the bus. Otherwise, we would walk the short 100-kilometer distance to the border. At the passport office, we went directly to the contact we were given and explained our border experience. I will do my best to procure a 15-day visa, he said, but it is almost impossible because once a visa is granted, it can only be renewed, not reissued. With his help, I completed the necessary paperwork, secretly hoping that the visa would only be renewed. In those days of waiting, we shopped for items that I didn't think we would ever need again on this journey. Wool socks, sweaters, and light jackets. The days were still warm, but the nights increasingly cooler. Many Syrians would often sit with us to tea, curious about the strangers in their land. On more than one occasion, anti-Semite sentiments were expressed, the passion of which surprised Alberto, but to which I was accustomed to hearing. I explained the little history that I knew about the region in an attempt to make him understand its complexities. The more I spoke, however, the more uncertain I became about the validity of our message. I had carried this peace for 11 months, and now that I was in the land that most needed to receive it, I wavered. 
Am I being naive, after all? I wondered. How many others before me have shouted this message? But what good has it done? Who am I to think I can get people to think differently? My quandaries produced no immediate answers and only served to deepen my ever-increasing sense of uneasiness. On the appointed day, we returned to the passport office. Our contact was not there, and no one seemed to know what to do. After three hours of going from one office to another and procuring more signatures and stamps, we finally had Alberto's visa in hand. The administrator checked it several times before giving it to us, unable to explain how we had a 15-day visa starting from the day we entered Syria. That night, using the last piece of the yellow paper that we had bought in Italy, Alberto cut out the sign that we would now be carrying, Min Ejlis Salam, meaning for peace. Words that looked like beautiful scroll once Alberto finished with them. On November the 3rd of 2002, we started out of Latakia, moving directly southwards along the Mediterranean coast. I walked looking at the asphalt, mustering the courage to face the world with our sign and our beliefs. Assalamu alaikum, someone yelled out. I looked up just in time to see the disappearing face of a young man hanging out of his car, holding out his hands and the V sign for peace. I shouldn't have needed it. I should have drawn strength from my personal reserves. But that salute changed my stay in Syria. More cars honked and people waved in support. Some even stopped to offer us rides. Many invited us to cool off from the blistering heat and to offer us refreshments. Their kindness and hospitality overwhelmed us, not only with regular offers to pay for our meals, but repeated invitations to sleep in their homes. Even during Ramadan, the Muslim time of fasting, which began November 5th that year, Food and drink were offered us while our hosts abstained. We would forever associate our time in Syria with their unforgettable hospitality. Despite these unforgettable experiences, however, I wasn't sure I was leaving Syria any more confident than when I had entered it. We would now be going to Lebanon, my home, carrying ideas of peace in a region strife with conflict and hatred. I didn't know if there was room for this humble message of peace or if it would serve any purpose. When compared to the magnitude of the problem, our intentions, our walk, all of it seemed insignificant. I had carried this message of peace through 11 countries and had faced rejection and ridicule but carried on. Now, the rejection and ridicule of those closest to me, from my family to my countrymen, terrified me. My heart believed in the truth of my words, but I didn't know if my courage was strong enough to guide my steps.